and we're continuing our study in Acts 13. But before we read the passage and get started, the question I have for you today, uh, the title has been the, the Preaching at Pisidian Antioch. This is part three. And uh, Pisidian Antioch, what modern-day country is that located in? Yes, Turkey, that's right. Turkey, we'd love to go there and have a, a tour of the cities that Paul visited. That would be amazing. Well, Acts 13, we'll pick it up uh, at verse 16 through 43. After Paul was asked to speak at the synagogue at Pisidian Antioch, he, Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. After he had removed him, that is, Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. And after John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us this message of salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfill these things by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him up from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children, in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to to return to decay, He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, 
He also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel, and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. Amen. And God bless his word. I think Acts 13 is probably not that familiar of a chapter to us if we were asked for our favorite verses in the Bible. It, it, we, most of us probably wouldn't have Acts 13, but there's a lot here, and this is our third study to conclude at least the sermon part. Next week, we'll see the, the radical reactions. We'll see a little bit of that at the end. But Paul, in this sermon, reviewed Israel's history all the way back to the Exodus, and then he kept telling them, God did this for you, God did this for you. And to the point that God even brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. So he was showing the, um, the, the main actor or character, if you will, was God. And the purpose was to uh, establish Israel, to build Israel up, to take care of Israel, and then to bring this Savior, Jesus, to Israel. And then he showed how even wicked men their acts toward the Messiah actually accomplished the plan of God, which is profound if we meditate upon it. And then he continued to focus on the death, burial, and resurrection. And today we'll see in several places where he speaks of uh, the decay or the lack thereof. Uh, Particularly also we want to note, which is interesting in light of our study in Matthew 1, that Paul goes to great lengths to show that Jesus is the son of David, fulfilling all of those promises in Jesus. Uh, we've called this preaching at Pisidian Antioch, but I thought of even this morning, the title could be the king who gave his life. The king who gave his life. That's what Jesus did for his people. He gave his life. And then just as a reminder, we're around 33 AD. That's when this is happening, this mission and we outlined Paul's sermon in three ways, um, three characters. Do you remember those three uh, uh, people, if you will, that we broke down the, the sermon in three ways? Israel, chosen by God, verses 17 through 22. Second, Jesus, the promise of God, verses 23 through 37. And then finally, believers, 
forgiven by God. And I kept looking at this sermon, and really he does break it down in these three points, broadly Israel, Jesus, and then believers, and unbelievers as well. Well, picking it up at verse 34, Paul continued his focus on the resurrection of Jesus, verse 34, as for the fact that he, that is God, raised Jesus up from the dead, no longer to return to decay. He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Those words struck us, I believe, the short verse 30, God raised him from the dead. And here again, he, that is God, raised him from the dead, no longer to return to decay. Four times the word for decay or rot is used in our passage, verse 34, 35, 36, and 37. So there's definitely an emphasis on uh, the idea of decay or the lack of decay in Jesus' death. And then God, um, I, I want to point out here, as I was studying, even looking at the Greek text, comparing verse 34 and verse 35, you see in verse 34 it says uh, this quote, I will give. I will give. In verse 35, the same word is used, although it's translated, you will not give or you will not allow. There's a parallel. And, and it's, again, I think, as Tom and I and John, we seek to teach and preach, you want to use words to get your attention. Well, it was no less uh, for the the hearers or the readers of uh, of this book of Acts and even the Sermon of Paul. He's repeating not only regarding uh, the, the rotting uh, flesh or the lack thereof, but also, I will give, I will give twice. And even the word... Um, I will give you the holy. The word holy, it's the same word in verse 35, your holy one. So I will give something that is holy. I will give something that is holy. And there's this parallel that we don't always pick up. You can definitely see it with the word holy. But there's these parallel thoughts and maybe a, a rhyming, if you will, of, of words, even in Acts 13, which is beautiful. God's word is amazing. And is meant to get our attention through repetition, through the rhyming of words. And I trust that, that it does, uh, that we are amazed at inspiration, how God used these tools to get the original recipients to listen. And maybe today we can see emphatically that, that Paul is preaching and he's repeating these things to the uh, to the listeners at the synagogue, and Luke recorded them, I will give, I will give, and something to do with these holy blessings and the Holy One. We'll get more to this in a moment. But Paul continues to quote Scripture to those at the synagogue, and he quotes Isaiah 55, verse 3. And it's a very beautiful passage. Uh, here we have it translated from, I, I believe, the Septuagint, I will give you the holy and sure or faithful blessings of David. Now turn back to Isaiah 55. And I hope you're familiar with Isaiah 55. It's one of uh, those amazing uh, passages and even, I would say, a gospel presentation. You know, they they call Isaiah the fifth gospel. There's so much of Christ in Isaiah. And I've encouraged Tom to preach through Isaiah 
maybe it'll come in the future. That would be amazing. Um, but Isaiah 55, just listen to verses 1 through 4 as we think of the context of Paul teaching and preaching at the synagogue at Pisidian Antioch. And he quotes just a few words from this passage in Isaiah, but you're familiar with it, I'm sure. Verse 1, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Verse 4, Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. So again, Paul is at Pisidian Antioch preaching the gospel, and he went through the history of Israel, and now he's laying out these passages which reveal the resurrection of Christ, reveal that Jesus is the son of David, and he just quotes a few words, but I trust that some or many of those Israelites were familiar with Isaiah 55. And it's this call to come and to believe on God, and now he's applying it to Christ. So we only get a few words, but I think the context can't be missed. So he he says, he's quoting this, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. We looked at 1 Samuel 7.16, the promise to David that he would have one to sit on his throne for how long? Forever. Did anyone else, did any descendant of David do that besides Jesus? No. Jesus fulfilled this, these holy and sure blessings of David. And by the way, if scripture quotes scripture, how much, how much more should we? The Bible quotes itself. Jesus quoted the Old Testament continually. The apostles quoted the Old Testament continually, and even the apostles quoted the other other apostles. So it's always amazing. And how many times in this short five-minute sermon that Paul gave that we have record of, how many passages did he quote? I think that's illustrative, and, and, and it's why uh, we believe in exposition, and of course we're a Bible church, but we ought to use Scripture, I think, more than we do. And Paul himself used it in his sermon. So don't be discouraged when you hear the pastors continually bringing up other passages. That's that's the model. We are to compare Scripture with Scripture and preach Scripture with Scripture. And that's what Paul was doing at this synagogue. He brought to them Isaiah 55 to show that Jesus, the true descendant, the fulfillment of all the promises to David, he was given the holy and sure blessings of David. Now, what are the holy and sure blessings? We've already said it. The promise that one would sit on the throne of David forever. And I read Matthew 1 this morning, even in preparation for Tom's message, and when the angel spoke to Joseph, I said, Rita, I I can't believe it. How did the angel address Joseph? Joseph, son of David. I have a new appreciation after Acts 13 of the son of David, Jesus. 
Lesson one, then, based on just this verse 34, as God resurrected Christ never to die again, he also seated him on the throne of David never to be unseated. As God resurrected Christ never to die again, remember, four times he did not decay, he did not decay, he did not decay, though David did decay. He also seated Christ on the throne of David never to be unseated. He will never be taken off. All those other men died. We'll hit that later. But Jesus has been seated on the throne never to be unseated. He has sat down at the right hand of God. And as we we believe in the resurrection, we believe that Jesus is the son of David. And how can we respond? We can relish it. We can uh, review it. We can think about it. We can worship. Even as we sing some of the Christmas songs, uh, reveal Jesus, the son of David, the promised one, the Messiah, the king who gave his life for his people. We sing... Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. Other lines in that great hymn. Death in vain forbids Him rise. Alleluia. Lives again our glorious King. Alleluia. We have to continually remind ourselves not only of the birth and the death, but the resurrection of Christ, never to die again, as well seated on the throne of David. The King the holy and sure blessings of David are fulfilled in Christ. Verse 35, Therefore, God also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. He's he's beating this into their heads, as it were, into the synagogue listeners And he's piling up scriptures about Jesus, the son of David. And here he says there's another psalm because he already mentioned Psalm 2.9 about God speaking of his begotten son, his unique son. And now another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo, undergo decay. You will not give your Holy One to undergo this decay, this rotting of the flesh. Psalm 16.10 is quoted as a prophecy and an evidence that Jesus would and did rise from the dead. He wasn't laying in that grave very long, just a few hours, and then he was resurrected. And Paul uses Psalm 16, one of my favorites, particularly the second part, as Peter does in Acts 2 as well, to proclaim to the Jews that this was prophesied. He would not undergo decay. He would not lay in the tomb very long, as we know, less than 72 hours, and he was resurrected. He lives. God would not abandon his soul to Sheol, Psalm 16. But in God's presence, he would have delight forevermore. Lesson two, let us use the prophetic passages as the apostles did. Again, getting back to the Scriptures. Let us take those prophetic psalms, the prophecies made to David, the prophecies back in Genesis 3, all the prophecies in the Bible, and use them correctly 
to show people that this was promised, that Jesus is the promised one. It was foretold, even a virgin will give birth, even a king would come, the seed would come, the son of David, and that he would die and that he would be resurrected. We have passages to show that. And again, I'm stating the obvious. We know these things, but sometimes we may not put it all together. And as we speak to people, we can show that that the Messiah was promised. And that's what Paul did with these Jews and even the Gentiles that were listening, the proselytes and then, of course, others. He kept telling, as Peter did in Acts 2, he told them the same, he used the same text, Psalm 16. Uh, did Paul hear about that sermon? Or he just, those verses were so ingrained in the, the Jewish mind or illuminated by the Holy Spirit, we don't know. But they both used Psalm 16 to show the power of the resurrection that Jesus would not undergo decay. Verse 36 and 37, more light is shed upon this. For David, after he had served the purpose of God or God's plan, in his own generation, he fell asleep. What does that mean? He died. He fell asleep. The, the way, the, the euphemism that was used. He fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. God had a special purpose for David in his own generation. And these words, I I skipped over them myself, but others have pointed out, David fulfilled his purpose in his own generation. Listen to one of the commentators, which I really enjoy. Lenski said, David served his own generation alone, but the Messiah, Jesus, had to serve all generations. What a contrast. There's, there's similarities and there's differences between David and Jesus. And one of the dissimilarities is that David had a very short um, influence, if you will, in his own generation. He served his purpose in his own generation. But Jesus served all generations, even from the beginning until now and until he returns. What a contrast. Even in that little phrase, David served the purpose of God in his own generation. But, and there's that contrast, Jesus didn't undergo decay. He, of course, was resurrected He kept living. Lesson three. Again, you know these things. I know these things. But let's remind ourselves and stir up our hearts. All the heroes of the faith, maybe Hebrews 11, and elsewhere, all the heroes of the faith have died and decayed. But Jesus is alive. Amen. Maybe you listen to Shai Lin. He has a song about this. Jesus is alive. And, and we've heard it in many messages. And you look through the history of time and so-and-so died. And so-and-so is dead. They died. They died. Every one of them. But Jesus is alive. He has been resurrected. It cannot become too familiar with us. And, and I love to be reminded that each Sunday we gather on the Lord's Day because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. It's an amazing, beautiful tradition that it's true. He rose on this day and we meet to honor Christ. It's the Lord's day. 
all the heroes of the faith have died and decayed. Not only did they die, their bodies are dust. But Jesus is alive. So we praise God. We exalt God what he did in raising up Jesus. He has great might and great power. Even the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all involved in the resurrection of Jesus. And we not only praise God, but we proclaim God's Son to others. Jesus was resurrected. And even as we were singing some of these Christmas carols, it's not only about the manger, it's about the cross, it's about the resurrection. And in that we can say Jesus did not decay. He is alive. He's resurrected. If you're like me, we need stirred up. It's like we have this reminder. We did the Lord's Supper to proclaim His death until He comes. We also proclaim to ourselves and the Bible proclaims to us that Jesus was resurrected. So if you haven't believed, believe in Him and be set free. Come to the waters and drink. Drink deeply of Jesus. Because all the others have died, but he is alive. I read Psalm 89, as we'll read today, and it says in verse 48, what man can live and not see death? (laughs) It's a rhetorical question. Have you known anyone that didn't see death? Well, maybe we'd say Enoch walked with God, Elijah went up, but besides that, they're all dead. Uh, You know, they used to have the graveyards in front of the church buildings, And I've heard that that was because as you walk into church, you go by all these dead people, which has many applications and reminders that, you know, when I drive uh, anywhere, I go by a graveyard. And, And I think it's good not to be morose, but to be reminded that others have died and we will die, but Jesus did not. Let us meditate more often on the resurrection of Jesus. And may God move us and stir us up that we might know uh, and be conformed to and embrace all the benefits that his resurrection, resurrection secured. Verse 38. We're moving into this application that Paul would give to his hearers. Verse 38. Remember, believers forgiven by God begins, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren that through Him, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through Him, everyone who believes is freed or justified from all things which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. Twice we have Two different prepositions. One is was through and the other is really in. Through Him, in Him, we can get forgiveness if we believe. Lesson four, only through faith in Jesus is there forgiveness of sins. Only through faith in Jesus is there forgiveness of sins. We had Reformation Day a few weeks back. Soli or sola fide. Faith alone. We lay hold of Christ alone. By faith alone. And that's what Paul said in his sermon to the synagogue at Pisidian Antioch. Through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. To who? 
to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. And we're going to see the reaction to the Gentiles, to the Jews and the Gentiles after we uh, get to the end of this message. And let, next week, you can please read ahead and, and see the reaction. But to everyone who believes, you can be forgiven and freed and justified if you believe in Jesus as the only sacrifice for sinners. The Son of David, the Son of God, the one who died, was buried, and was resurrected, and who has not decayed. And by the way, this believing is present active. It's a present active participle, thus continuous and ongoing faith. You not only believed uh, one year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, fifty years ago, you must keep on believing in Jesus. That's what true faith does. It keeps on believing. And we'll hear that even at the end of our passage today. If you believe in Jesus as your only hope to be saved, you will be freed. Freed. That's a glorious word. Or maybe they should have translated it justified. The Holman does. Justified. Freed from the punishment of God. Because the law of Moses, could that justify anyone? Keeping the law of God, the moral law, or the Mosaic law, did that ever save anyone? No. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we can be freed or justified. And this justification, it's a a passive thing. It's something God does to you. He frees you. He justifies you. He puts you in a right relationship with Himself. You are acquitted of guilt. You are declared to be righteous, again, or justified. Luther said that the doctrine of justification is the article of a rising or falling church. If we slip on justification, Paul would say we lose the gospel. We lose Christ. What is justification? I I enjoy the Westminster Catechisms. The shorter catechism, what is justification, answers in this way. Justification is an act of God's free grace. Of God's free grace, wherein He pardons all our sins. Do you need pardon from all your sins? Yes. And accepts us as righteous in His sight. Not only to be forgiven, but to be seen as righteous in His sight. Why? Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. That's a great definition of justification. Let me read it again. And it's question 33. Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. What glorious truth. One author said that we have here the germ of all that is most characteristic in Paul's later teaching. It's his argument in Galatians and Romans in a sentence. These are beautiful words and Acts 13, 38 and 39, that through Him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. 
And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Listen to Paul in Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. You cannot be saved by good works. And so many false religions and even some professing Christians think that their good works will get them to heaven. As Tom has exhorted us so many times, does God save the godly or the ungodly? The ungodly. And he makes us to be righteous before God because of what Christ did. We are freed or justified when we believe in Jesus. That's the good news. We cannot be justified by law-keeping. We've broken the law so many times And we continue to break it, but Jesus never broke it once. Therefore, we can be freed. We can be justified. Praise the Lord. Well, Paul tells these Jews primarily in the synagogue, in light of all that he's said, he continues to wrap it up in his conclusion. He says, therefore, take heed. Take heed. Listen so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. I've given you all this message. I've told you all that God did for you, the Israelites, the sons of Abraham, how God did this and God did that and God did this and God sent his son for you and he was resurrected. Take heed. Verse 41, Behold, look, listen, pay attention, you scoffers, and marvel or wonder And perish. Wow. Not a very encouraging conclusion there, Paul. Behold, you scoffers and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it or outline it to you. Take heed. Watch out. Beware. The prophets gave warnings. Make sure you're not like those that disregarded their words. And for example, he gives Habakkuk chapter 1. Or maybe you say Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1. Maybe have your finger there. He quotes more scripture. He quoted not only Isaiah and the Psalms, but now he quotes Habakkuk. And this warning that we hear, let's hear it from our Old Testament translation. Habakkuk 1.5, look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you will not believe if you were told. Verse 6, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans and they're going to destroy you. God was giving Judah warnings about the upcoming destruction that would come upon them and he's warning them through the prophet, look, Observe, be astonished, wonder. I'm doing something, though you won't believe it. And Paul applies it to these hearers. Don't be like those people, but have faith. And he is quoting from the Septuagint here, as as often 
he, the apostles, and Jesus did as well, a translation of the Old Testament in Greek, of course. He says, don't disregard or scoff at what God is doing. We're going to hear many of the Jews will be scoffing. No way. We don't believe that. We don't believe in the Messiah. We don't believe that God's going to judge us if we don't believe in Him. That's what Judah did. And God destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And they had been attacked many times before. So be amazed to the unbelievers. What you're doing will lead to the fact that you will perish because of your unbelief. Why will you perish? Because God says, I myself have accomplished. It's actually emphatic. I myself have, have, have planned this, have done this. And we've seen it in Paul's whole sermon. He kept saying, God did this, God did this, God did this. And here, when it says, I am accomplishing, I myself am accomplishing something great as it was to the, the, to the Judeans in Habakkuk 1, but now in Acts 13, or even in our day, God has accomplished something Himself in that He brought a Savior. So if you persist in unbelief and have a hard heart and you get only harder, and even though people explain the gospel over and over and over and outline it and give you tips and tricks and verses, you you just won't believe. It's a sobering warning. And he uses these verses to shock any unbelievers in their midst and it hardens some and softened others. The scoffers, the, the ones that didn't believe it, he calls them to, to be, to have wonder, to, to marvel, to be amazed and perish. For God is doing something and they won't believe it. Even if someone tells them, even if someone would rise from the dead, they won't believe it. So don't persist. If you have unbelief, don't persist in it. Lesson five, beware of hardening your heart and not believing in Jesus for forgiveness. If you harden your heart and you don't repent, you will perish. We have Luke's phrase, the beginning of uh, the preaching of the gospel, when we have those words, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. We could equally say, unless you believe, you will likewise perish. Jesus says, whoever believes in Him shall not perish. John 3 16. But whoever does not believe will perish. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 3.36. John 3 has a lot. And and I think sometimes John 3.16 can eclipse. And even in John 3.16, the promise in John 3.16 is to believers, to those who believe. You'll know the love of God in Christ when you believe. Unbelievers are only punished judgment in John 3. So please, don't harden your heart. Believe in Jesus for forgiveness or you're going to perish. And actually right now, the wrath of God abides on you. Sobering truth. And these listeners... Some of them were sobered in a good way and some hardened their hearts. Verse 42. Some of them reacted reacted positively. Verse 42. 
as Paul and Barnabas were going out, out of the synagogue, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. This is the first time we hear Paul and Barnabas. It's always been Barnabas and Paul. (coughs) Excuse me. Now it's Paul and Barnabas. They were begging. They were urging. It's even the same word we had translated earlier, encouraging. They, They wanted to hear more. And I think, boy, that's that's a great response from an audience. Don't stop. I want more. I want to hear more truth. I want to learn more about Jesus. I want to hear more about the resurrection. I want to be blessed and uplifted. What an appetite. They had this earnest appetite for the truth about Jesus, the promised one. They wanted to hear more. Well, verse 43 Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them or persuading them to continue in the grace of God. The service had ended, but like some of us, sometimes we're outside here, the doors are locked, and we're still talking about the message. We're still talking about the truth. What a delight that we don't just rush out after the benediction, but we want to talk about the truth of God. And these people were most likely new Christians, and they had to hear more. And they started following Paul as they went out of the synagogue. Tell me more, tell me more. And they were telling them something. Maybe they had questions. Maybe, what does that mean? Or what does this verse mean? Or how do I understand this? And we only have the words that Paul and Barnabas were urging them to continue in the grace of God. What a beautiful benediction or sum up of all of this for these new believers in Jesus, the son of David, continue in the grace of God. It's actually the same word that Apollos had given to those at Antioch um, when he encouraged them with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, to remain, to abide or remain here in the grace of God. Prosmenein, to abide or remain toward and relying upon the grace of God. Lesson six, be persuaded. We cannot simply start by the grace of God. We must continue in it. We can sing maybe for the first time, wonderful grace of Jesus. But guess what? That doesn't stop. We must continue in the grace of God. We don't merely just believe, again, weeks, months, years, decades ago. We must continue believing. We not only begin with the grace of God, we continue in it the rest of our lives. And until the day we depart or Christ takes us up when he returns, we must continue like these new believers at Pisidian Antioch in the grace of God. Abide in it. Remain in it. Because we're debtors to that grace alone. We're, we're dependent upon God's grace alone to, to do anything. Uh, to believe, to be sanctified, to persevere. So we must be persuaded each day, Lord, give me grace to, to follow hard after you, to cling to Christ, to delight in your death, burial, and resurrection. That's what these new disciples were doing. And and Paul and Barnabas said, yes, do it now, but keep doing it. Yes, come back next week by the grace of God. Each day, Lord, 
grant me grace. God gives a greater grace. What, what a great word and truth, the grace of God to meditate upon and to be encouraged with. And that's what they gave the new believers at Pisidian Antioch. Well, in review, lesson one, as God resurrected Christ never to die again, he also seated him on the throne of David never to be unseated. Because he doesn't decay, he doesn't die, he sat down at the right hand of God on that throne never to be unseated. Lesson two, let us use the prophetic passages as the apostles did. We must know our Bible from Genesis to Revelation so that we can, in our own minds, understand the promises, and there are many. We don't need to squeeze out from passages that are not prophecies something because we have so many that are clear. And the apostles and Jesus use them. Even in this season, let us use those prophecies about the Savior to come. Third, all the heroes of the faith have died and decayed, but Jesus is alive. Let's make sure that we rejoice in that truth and spread it. Lesson four, only through faith in Jesus is there forgiveness of sins. There's no other way. Only through faith in Jesus Christ is there forgiveness of sins. Five, beware of hardening your heart and not believing in Jesus for forgiveness. There's no other way. Don't harden your heart. If you have a hard heart, Lord, soften my heart. Forgive me. Confess that your heart is hard and ask Him to change it. Lesson six, brothers and sisters, we cannot simply start by the grace of God. We must continue in it. Amen? Lord, grant us grace to continue all the way to the end, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith. We need fresh grace, and God has it. He has abundant grace. He has great grace in Christ to carry us through all the way to the end. Jesus secured that. Well, before we conclude with prayer, any questions or comments on this beautiful passage, Acts 13? Thanks for your attentiveness, and may God write his word on our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Acts. And Lord, I confess that I don't know this book as I ought. And I don't know enough about the resurrection of Christ as I ought. And I don't rejoice in the resurrection of the Savior as I ought. Lord, forgive us. May we be more Christ-centered. May we know the gospel better. May we meditate on these truths and may familiarity not breed contempt, but may it breed worship and wonder and awe and conformity to Christ by your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your word, the warnings, the comforts, all that you give us from a passage such as this. May we remember it, may we do it, that Christ would get all the glory and we commit ourselves to your grace. Amen.